listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to be back. You know, I was gone for a couple of weeks there in Israel and Egypt, and then I had the bright idea that I should run to Los Angeles just real quick for the weekend. But it is good for me to be with you. Um, There is a sense in which this season of Lent, kind of commemorating Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, which itself is a commemoration of the Hebrew children's 40 years in the wilderness, I have embodied in my life (laughs) as I've been roaming from here to there. I do want to come back I love Joan Chittister and her, uh, her book, The Liturgical Year. Uh, I want to come back to that at the end of the sermon, but I want to start with a focus on the gospel passage that we read from John 12. So that we, we find out that Jesus is at the house of Lazarus. And just in case you missed it in the previous chapter, this is the guy who was raised from the dead. I think that's such an interesting like, um, uh, proviso or like reminder like, we just heard a story of Jesus raising this man from the dead, and they said he's at the house of Lazarus, just in case you forgot. That's the one Jesus raised from the dead. Like, I hadn't forgotten. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal, and it just happened. So Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and his sister, Mary, comes in with this, um, this kind of box of, of, it says a pound of anointing um, ointment, Right? Uh, One translation called it nard, which that made it sound kind of rough. But it's expensive stuff. And, of course, Judas objects. He's like, hey, that's that's kind of wasteful. You shouldn't use something so costly. We could have sold that for a lot of money, and we could have given it to the poor. The narrator, again, kind of comes to our aid in this kind of parenthetical statement and says, but don't you believe what that guy says? This is the one who's going to deny Jesus And he wasn't actually worried about the poor. He often took money from the treasury that he was in charge of. He was like the the treasurer of the disciples. So a few questions come to my mind. One is, where would Mary have gotten this from? Like, this is fairly expensive. And what would she, why would she have invested so much in getting it? Well, I think the obvious answer is close at hand. Her brother had died, and she would have purchased this to kind of prepare his body for his burial. And it would have been costly, but it would have been the kind of thing that you would have invested a lot in. Like you would have, you would have given a lot of your life, a lot of your savings, a lot of, of your resources to um, bury your brother well. So that's probably why she has um, this kind of box of expensive perfume is to bury her brother. But good news is her brother doesn't need to be buried, right? Like that's a shocker. So she now is going to um, give this to Jesus, right? She's going to pour this perfume onto Jesus, which is, which is interesting. Jesus isn't dead, except that the story is kind of pointing in that direction, that this is the 
preparation of Jesus's body for burial, but he's not even dead yet. But that's to give us kind of a clue as to what's going to happen. And again, we see this kind of major difference between who Mary is and how she behaves and who Judas is and how he behaves. Now, they say in Israel that the land can teach you things that you can't learn elsewhere. And one of the lessons of the land is the um, contrast between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, which I believe is a perfect metaphor for the contrast between Mary, uh, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who anoints Jesus, and Judas, Jesus' disciple. Mary's like the Sea of Galilee, and Judas is like the Dead Sea. What the folks in that area say, they speak about how wonderful the Sea of Galilee is. It is a living and vibrant lake. Like it receives water from the north from Mount Hermon, and it has like, like hundreds of different uh, types of fishes, uh, fishes, fish, um, that live, forgive me, that, that live in the lake. It is, um, it is still to this day one of the primary sources of water, both for irrigation and for drinking in the land of Israel. It is a remarkably important water source. And what the Galilee does as it receives the water from Mount Hermon in its north, it lets water out from its south as it goes down the Jordan River. And that's, that's the sign of its life, that it both receives and in turn it gives. By contrast, the Jordan River kind of meanders its way south and it ends into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, called the Dead Sea, because nothing can live there. Um, part of that's because of its elevation. It's, it's very, very low. Um, part of that, it's the lowest place on land, on earth. Like, there might be something lower, like in the Pacific Ocean. But on land, it's the lowest place on earth. And it receives the water from the Jordan, but then it ends there. Uh, the Dead Sea has no outlet. And so because it has no outlet, it receives this stuff, but then it just it captures it. And because of the evaporation, all you have is all of these minerals, particularly a lot of salt. In fact, it used to be called the Salt Sea. And nothing can live there. Nothing can live in the Dead Sea. I mean, it's a fun place to go visit because it can hold you up. Hold you up. Maybe you've heard about that. People kind of floating in the Dead Sea. So that's a cool tourist attraction. But unlike the Sea of Galilee, which is full of life, the Dead Sea is full of death. In fact, there's an old um, mosaic of the Middle East. And the, the, there's this one section that shows the Jordan River hitting the Dead Sea. And it shows fish kind of moving south. And then it shows the same type of fish moving north. Like they don't actually enter into the sea, which is interesting. And I think, again, by way of comparison, both Mary and Judas have received so much from Jesus. They have, they have been his friend. They've received his love and his mercy and his grace. They've, received, they've been recipients of his teaching, uh, of his friendship. I mean, Judas was called by Jesus to be a disciple. Judas had been 
baptized by Jesus. Judas had received communion. He'd received the holy meal from Jesus. Judas had had his feet washed by Jesus. I mean, Judas had received everything there is to receive from Jesus, but like the Dead Sea, he was keeping it all to himself. Mary, on the other hand, is just the opposite. Like the Sea of Galilee, she too has received so much from our Lord. But unlike Judas, she is in turn giving it, giving it back to her sister and brother, giving it back to Jesus. And so like the Sea of Galilee, she lives. And of course, the question that that presents to us is who do we want to be? What kind of lives will we live? Will we live a life like Judas where we've received all these wonderful things from God, friends and family and provision, and then just hold on to it? Or will we in turn be like Mary, having received all these things, will we turn and also be giving, uh, giving of ourselves, of our resources, of our lives, sacrificially giving things? That's, that's the life, and I think that's the contrast that we see that we see between the two. Now, it is interesting, this passage ends with a, almost a riddle. In response to Judas's complaint, hey, shouldn't we have given this to the poor? Jesus says, no, she's doing the right thing. She's serving me. You have the poor with you always, but you won't always have me. What, what's he talking about? Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but Sometimes I heard, I've heard people quote that passage, the poor you'll have with you always, as, as an excuse as to why you don't have to help the poor. Well, there's always going to be poor people, so there's nothing you can do about it. So if you see somebody on the side of the road, don't give them money, God forbid, they're going to buy cigarettes. Um, did you not hear that same sermon when you were a kid? No? Okay. The two or three of you that did, that's all right. You don't have to say Amen. But yeah, there's this thing that somehow we've become um, judge and jury, right? And we're going we're gonna to withhold our resources from people in need because we're going to, you know, we don't want to enable them somehow. But I think that's not what it means that the poor is with you always. Because Jesus often identifies with the poor. So, you know, that whole description of at the end, there are going to be sheep and goats, And um, the goats, uh, Jesus says about goats that when he was thirsty, right, when he was hungry, when he was naked, when he was a stranger, when he was sick, when he was in prison, none of their needs were met. And of course, the goats are like, well, when, when, Lord, when did we see you thirsty? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? That's a very good question. When were you a stranger? When were you sick? When were you in prison? And Jesus says, when you saw anyone in that situation, when you saw anyone who was thirsty, you saw me. I was that person. When you saw anyone who was hungry, when you saw anyone who was naked, when you saw anyone who was a stranger, when you saw anyone who was sick, when you saw anyone who was in prison. And so Jesus identifies with them. I might say, just on a side note, the sheep who I think we want to be, right? We want to be sheep, not goat in that story. The sheep are not particularly well-informed because while they have done what is right, they don't seem to know what was right because they too asked Jesus 
uh, Lord, when did we do this for you? Right? They're commended for having done it. And they're like, well, when did we do it for you? And once again, he gives them the same answer. When you've done it to those who are in need, you've done it to me. I think that's remarkable, right? It's not like the sheep knew that they were helping Jesus in the moment. They were just helping people. That's who we want to be, right? Not, not necessarily always aware of how this might impact God, but just being God, right? Being the body of Christ, being the agents of, of God's goodness in the world. That's what we're called to be. So back to the John passage, if the poor you, we have with us always, what that means is we always have an opportunity to do what's right, not an excuse not to do it, right? There's always a place where Jesus can be served, and that's with the poor. And when Jesus says, you don't have me always, it doesn't mean we don't have him in that spiritual sense in which we have him embodied in the presence of the poor. It means that in his physical sense, he was going to be gone. I mean, that's what we experience even now. We pray, Lord, come quickly. We believe that the, the world is not right, right? It needs fixing. And we believe that the coming of Christ is that which will fix that. And we are called to be faithful between now and then. And that's, that's what we want to do. Um, it, does, it does remind me, too, there's a passage from this week from Isaiah, and it's been paired with this passage from John. It says this, I don't have it on the screen for you. Just, just listen. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out the chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. That's all references to the exile, right? It's references to the, to the crossing of the Red Sea experience, right? This is the one who's speaking to you, the Lord who did all of these things. And then it says this. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. <clears throat> Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Why did you just define yourself as the one who did these things in the past and then tell me not to remember the things of the past? Scripture. <laughs> Wonderful poems. Riddles that make you go, hmm? <laughs> what are you trying to say to me, God? I'm the one who did all these things. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, so that, they may, so that they might declare my praise. Look, it is easy for us in our lives, in our hopes to be like Mary and not like Judas, right? One who gives and receives, not just one who receives. That we don't remember well our past, we forget what God has done or remember what God has done in ways that aren't healthy. Like we, we remember God as some kind of utility, not as the one who is. So it's, 
when he says, I'm the one who did these things, don't remember the past, it's like, don't focus on that event of the exile, but don't forget the God of the exile. Like, God wants to be with us now. Right? God is the God of your parents and your grandparents. Right? God is the God who has done these things in the past. But God is the God of today. The God of right here. The God of right now. The God who loves you. And that, I think, is what Lent is really about. Um, I want to take us back to, to the quote that was in the video that we heard earlier. And we saw the beautiful pictures of the, that were pictures of the Judean wilderness, the Judean desert. But I just, I just want us to consider these words again. <clears throat> Joan writes this. After a lifetime of mundane regularity or unconsidered adherence to the trappings of faith. Um, let me back up a little bit. Lent is a call to renewal of a commitment grown dull. Now is the time to recommit ourselves to God. Listen, life is hard. I get it. All, all sorts of things happen at work, with family, with kids our health, the, the government, the culture. We're overwhelmed, right? Every, everything seems just to be flooding us. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to grow dull. But Lent is a call to renewal of a commitment grown dull, perhaps by a life marked more by routine than by reflection. That is, our life is marked more by the fact that we do the same thing over and over than the fact that we stop and reflect on why is it that it's this way? Why is it that I do what I do? It's easy to kind of forget that when we come to the table, we're not just, we're not just eating a cracker and drinking some juice. We're remembering the fact that the Lord God Almighty loves us and forgives us and has called us to a way of life. And that's what Lent is, to be a life realized. She says this, Lent requires me as a Christian to stop for a while, to reflect on, again on what is going on in me. I am challenged again to decide whether I myself do believe that Jesus is the Christ, and if I believe, whether I will live accordingly when I can no longer hear the songs of angels in my life and the star of Bethlehem has grown dim for me. Man, it's easy to, to love God and to worship God when things are good, right? We come to faith, we receive forgiveness, we're excited. But in the long and mundane and troubles of life, it gets a little harder. It gets a little duller. It becomes a bit of a, a trudgery. But we have these times built into our calendar, holidays for, for Christians that call us to remember, that say, don't just get caught up in the routine of coming, though I think the routine of coming is important, but don't get caught up in the routine. Stop, reflect, think. I'm coming to church on Sunday to worship God. 
Not just because it's something I do every Sunday, but it's, it's something I'm choosing to do. I, I come to the table on Sunday, not because it's just something they do every Sunday, but because I'm, I'm receiving forgiveness from God and I'm getting ready to be sent out back into my community, to my home, to my workplace, to my school. It is, it is where we live. Lent, she says, is not a ritual. It is time given to think seriously about who Jesus is for us, to renew our faith from the inside out. It is the moment when, as the baptismal waters flow on every Easter Vigil altar, we return to the baptismal font of the heart to say once again, to say yes once more to the call of Jesus to the disciples, come and see. It is the act of beginning our spiritual life all over again, refreshed and reoriented. I love this phrase as we return to the baptismal font of the heart. Look, we have these times in our lives, like Mary and like Judas. But we come to these seasons, and it comes every year, but it's good for us. We need it every year. To remind ourselves that these things that have happened to us, these things that we have done, are not the totality of who we are. We are not simply... Um, American citizens. We are not simply customers of companies. We are not simply um, who we are in terms of gender or race. We are at the very core of who we are, God's creation, God's children. We are loved, and therefore we are. With all due respect to Mr. Rene Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am. It's a little egotistical there, Rene. Right? And with all due respect to my upbringing, who I think had a belief that I am because I believe. In an ancient church belief and practice, I am because I'm loved. And I am loved by God. And that makes all the difference. And there is a baptismal water that comes to my heart, not just on my body. It did happen to my body. I think that's important. But it's constantly in my heart. And now is the time to remember that. Now is the time to be grateful for that. Now is the time to recommit. Yes, Lord, I... You know, the, the baptism, I mean, there's different things that Christians do. We both confess our sins, we want to say when we're wrong, and we profess our faith. Both of those are actually in the traditional baptismal uh, words that we say. Like when I baptize people here at Oasis, I say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And they say yes. If they said no, then we wouldn't baptize them. That's kind of part of the deal. But we also say do you renounce evil in all its ways? And they say yes. Right? So it's a profession. <laughs> you know, that's what I do for a living. I'm a professor. Right? We talk a lot about professing. A profession of our faith. Now is that time, Lent, to remember, to recommit, 
to profess our faith, to say, yes, Lord, I believe. And that, I think, is exactly what Mary was doing, not just in her words, but also in her actions. And that's what I want us to do as Oasians, to do that in our words and also in our actions. I want Oasis Community Church to be a place where we uh, receive and where we give. And I think in that, we will be finding our way. Right? That's our Linton series, finding our way. And the way that we find is the way that is made by Christ. He is the way maker. And we find it by following him. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.